Welcome back to episode 85 of Warrior's Den, brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. So today's episode is with UTKM instructor, assistant instructor Petra Forrester, and she's currently a UTKM green belt, soon to be blue belt, judo black belt, and uh, recently promoted uh, BJJ blue belt. And she also recently wrote a series on the blog, which I'm going to uh, do a full uh, podcast just on later on, called Doom to Repeat, because Petra grew up uh, in East Germany before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And she's starting to notice some of the things that our current Western governments are doing are starting to look a lot like the authoritarian communist regimes, or as they were taught, socialist regimes. It's all very great. But first, Urban Tactics Kramaga, you can support this podcast and our blog by going to utkmblog.com, clicking on the support us link, and you can either simply donate to us and support it, because we like that, and you'll feel great, maybe, maybe not. And uh, you can also go to utkmu.com and you can get access to our curriculum. Novice, uh, beginner and novice, so all the way up to orange belt is available. So if you just want to supplement your current Krav Maga training, uh, if you're an instructor out there who wants to see how we structured our program, uh, if you want to practice as a UTKM student because you're away, you can take a look at the details of the curriculum on utkmu.com. You can also support us for free by uh, following us on Urban Tactics Kramaga on Instagram, Urban Tactics Cam on Twitter. Although I prefer you follow us on Instagram because Twitter is a cesspool of shenanigans. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, Urban Tactics Kramaga. If you want to come train with us in person, we have classes now. Woot! You can come sign up at urbantacticscam.com and you can sign up on the new student link for a free trial class. And I don't know if you caught it in the other uh, episodes uh, recently that I was saying we are taking blog submissions. So if you want a free three months access to UTCAM, you, uh, we are submitting a submission. What we're looking for is self-defense situations you are in, whether you did well or poorly, law enforcement experience, military experience, etc. Minimum 500 words. What I'm looking for is what did you learn? What did you do well? What did you do wrong? How did your training kick in? And you can get three months free UTKMU. If you want to remain anonymous, you can. If you want to have your name out there, you can also do that. All published submissions will get three months free. You can submit submissions three months of UTKMU for free. And all submissions to info at urbantacticscanada.com. Again, uh, if you tell your story, other people will know they're not alone or they can learn from you or whatever. So again, if you feel it's important to put it out there, we'd love to publish it on the blog. Minimum 500 words. Do try to have some basic grammatical English structure because our editor can only do so much. Uh, Not all submissions will be published. We'll take a look at the submissions so you can send them to info at urbantacticscanada.com and you could be in the next uh, series of stories I already forgot what I called it it was last week's episode let's take a look Uh, Tales From that's it 
So, first one, blog post series, Tales from Volume 1. So I'd like to do a lot of volumes of those, so please submit your stories. And what else? Oh yeah, if you're listening to this anytime soon, don't forget, we do the Canadian Firearms Safety Course and Canadian Restricted Firearms Safety Courses. Uh, you can check that out on urbantacticscam.com. Sign up fast. I do them about every two months right now. They fill up fast, limited space. Uh, so check us out if you need to get your firearms license. I recommend if you're Canadian to do it sooner than later due to politics and the stupidity around that. So I would get your licenses as soon as you can. Also, you need them if you want. Everyone to be a Utikim green belt. And for our current students listening, just so you know, we're going to have lots of testing coming up now that things are open again. So keep your eyes out for that if you are listening to this. We need helpers. So back to the podcast. So again, Petra, our UTCAM assistant instructor, training with us since 2015. She trained briefly previously at another school until it closed down. She had originally started her judo path in uh, eastern Germany when she was young. And she continued her martial arts journey when she ended up moving here. And so in this episode, we talk about her experience with martial arts and judo and Krav Maga. Her experience a little bit growing up, mental health considerations, politics as always. Uh, and because I did want to talk about what she was writing in her blog post, because I think it's important to know in a Western country, it can happen here too again. So stop putting your heads in blindfolders and pretending like you don't need to pay attention because it's not interesting and I don't care what's going on because it doesn't affect my life. Yes, yes, it does. So anyways, you can listen to this conversation that me and Petra had on uh, this we recorded it on July 1st, which is Canada Day. And uh, enjoy. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. Listening to the Warriors Day. Warriors Day, brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. Welcome back. I am here today with Petra Forrester, UTKM Green Belt Assistant Instructor, Judo Black Belt, and now BJJ Blue Belt. How are you today? Good. I mean, it's a day off, so I could technically sleep in, but if you have a cat, you're never able to sleep in. It's always <laughs> feed o'clock for him at some point. Yeah. So Wake me up, feed me. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with the uh, question everyone's waiting to hear. How did you get into martial arts in the first place? Um, that's a very easy question to answer. I think the more interesting question is why did I stick with it? Um, when I was six years old, 1986, in September, I started school, grade one. And uh, my parents said, well, okay, the kid needs to do something else, not only school, there needs to be a counterbalance. And um, the closest thing to where I lived was this little judo dojo. 
Mm. It's hard to believe because the town I'm from is really small. It's a uh, it's a very rural area. Whereabouts? It's in Germany, obviously. It's uh, um, it's in the boonies. It's uh, at the triple border between Poland, Germany, and the Czech Republic. So yeah. if you look at the globe, it's very easy to find. Yeah, <laughs> right there at the border. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my siblings did judo before that, but they didn't really stick with it. Once the teenage years hit, they were like, ah, not that important anymore. I need to do other stuff. Yeah, that's common. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so no, my parents decided, okay, the other kids did judo, so let's put her into the club as well. Yeah. And this is how I started with judo. And I had uh, one class that I was sitting there to observe, but it was not really negotiable. Like, yeah. nowadays, You're doing it. nowadays, it's always like the kids come to so many different sports and the parents are, yeah, so what do you like? And yeah. Do you think you can do that? And, and with me, was like, okay, that's it. You're going. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then this is how I started. Twice a week, Tuesday and Thursdays for two hours from four to six in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, and I uh, stuck with it for I don't know why. <laughs> how, how long were you doing it back then? Back in Germany, I was doing it for 16 years from 1986 to 2002. Yeah. And in 2002, I graduated from university and life happened. I moved away. Life happened. Yeah. And, uh, but I was also, my body was pretty tired and burned out. I had been doing, ju doing judo for 16 years, pretty much nonstop. Think judo is hard on the body? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really like it's a whole body conditioning. You're being thrown all the time, and um, I mean, breakfasts are great. You will really learn them when you're doing judo so long. But yeah, it's it takes a toll at some point. Um, yeah. And nowadays, when you're when they're here um, educating teachers, and you go through the dojo assistant and dojo instructor course with Judo Canada. They're really focusing and really paying attention to what you can teach to children and what you should not be teaching. Yeah. Because, I mean, children are still growing. It's still not as hardened as an adult body. It's still, like, compar compar comparably softer. Yeah. So you shouldn't be doing all the kind of crap. Um, but, yeah, no, that wasn't working. Um, when you're a teacher, when your sensei said, this is what you're doing, this is what you're doing. I yeah. mean, nobody, nobody cared. <laughs> back then yeah now wh when did you come to canada we'll get into the teaching thing don't worry <laughs> i came to canada in december 2012 it was december the 6th i remember the date december the 6th december the 6th infamous date yes <laughs> um how did your martial arts journey continue when you were here um i mean when i came to canada first focus was of course find an apartment find a job to pay for everything mm. So it took me a while to find jobs. When you're, to can when you're new to Canada, uh, there is nobody waiting for you at the airport and say, hey, great paying job here yeah. for you. You really have to start from the bottom again, uh, from scratch, and you have to just suck it up and go through a lot of shitty jobs mm. till you find a job that's finally starting to pay for everything you need. Yeah. Um, so when I came here, I had money saved up to make sure I can survive. And if you don't have Canadian work experience, it's really not easy to find a job. Yeah. Um, it's all about connections. Same for Canadians, not just immigrants. That's just how it works. Yeah, no, connections are always important. But if you don't have any Canadian work experience, it's a strange thing, but employ uh, employers are really, really sticky about it. Yeah. They, they want to see you have worked prior for a Canadian employer. But, I mean, I made it through. I'm still here. Yeah. Obviously, I, um, <laughs> I still I always had like a chunk of money put aside just in case uh, it didn't work out, so that I could still book a flight back home. Yeah, 
the immigrant life to right. like one foot in one foot yeah. out and then you stay right yeah but i was lucky enough and uh, now i have a job and it pays my bills it pays for everything yeah and then when did you s- jump back into the martial arts then that was i think in 2015 um and my i was still i was still living with my roommate and she we were really good friends and we're still really good friends and she was on the Groupon side. She was trying to find uh, something Groupon. she could do. I know, Groupon. Um, and uh, she also um, tripped over this ad for Krav Maga. And I heard about Krav Maga, but I wasn't really 100% sure what it is. Oh. So um, but Most I, people aren't still, yeah, as you know. But <laughs> um, I thought, oh, that's so cool. I always wanted to try that. So um, there was a gym downtown Vancouver yeah. that offered that. Who is no longer around because our gym is so much better. Everyone is trying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually know why they. Um, don't name names, by the no, way. No, 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 no. I wouldn't name yeah. names. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, at some point, they discontinued. But yeah. that to that to a later point. So, yes. So, um, I saw the ad. I Googled the address. Um, I just showed up for one of the training sessions. Um, and I just joined, enjoying the training. I also noticed how much out of shape I was. <laughs> well, yeah, that'll be if you take time, long time off, right? And like when I when I left judo in two thousand two, because again life happened. Yeah. I was in a pretty good shape. I was like I had no issues training for five days a week, two hours straight. Yeah. Um, doing all the drills, even in the heat, we didn't have air conditioning, and with the gi, it's very very hard. Like the gis are super heavy for judo. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I did my first class, Krav Maga, and um, again, I noticed how much out of shape I was. But there was even more um, incentive for me to do something because I felt that, no, that cannot be happening. Yeah. So, and I always say um, I was unemployed at the time. and was I was really lucky at that because I was, <laughs> I felt sore for a week. My whole body yeah. was in pain. I was just living on the couch. <laughs> And uh, occasionally crawling to the washroom, but that's it. I couldn't do much. And I was pretty mad at myself because I thought, again, no, that's, that's not how it is. I want to be more active again. I want to be, like, do more, be capable of doing more. And, yeah, so I signed up for Krav Maga with this gym downtown, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Again, I didn't really know it yet, so... Yeah. But again, for me, it was most important, I think, getting back into the game and doing something, working out. Yeah, that's that's good. Now, if anyone who doesn't know Petra, he's now doing, what, like three hours at a time sometimes, four yeah. hours at a time. So, you know, and don't b- beat yourself up so much. There was, what, like a 12, 13, 14 year gap in between. And people often forget when you get older, you can't yeah. do as much. Like I, not that I was an athlete, but I can't do as much as I used to. I can if I have to, have to, <laughs> but it's like, uh, I don't want to. Now, and then I, I, they closed, right? And then, yeah. then you found us. Yeah, I was asking a friend who went to the same gym in downtown. Yeah. Um, I asked him, hey, um, they're discontinuing the program. Where could I go? And uh, he had two suggestions for me. He said there is one, another one in downtown. But then he also said, if you really want to do Krav Maga, you should go to the one in Richmond. Yeah, so we had a good reputation <laughs> then, yeah, too. So this is how I showed up in Richmond. Yeah. Um, I think I emailed, and one of the uh, instructors then emailed me back like a week later or so. Yeah. It took him a while. Yeah. In between, I had shown up anyways. Yeah, I'm much better at that. <laughs> okay, if I don't email it within 24 hours, there's usually something crazy going on. Yeah, and... I had one trial, one trial session, and uh, yeah, I liked it. And 
to add on to this with martial arts, I tried different stuff in between. I tried, for example, CrossFit and all kinds of other stuff like mountain biking. Yeah. Mountain biking, sorry. Um, but it's just not my cup of tea. You're actually probably more likely to get injured mountain biking yeah. than you are doing martial arts anyway. Well, I mean, it helps when you know how to break fall. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. Although if you're going like 60 mile an hour downhill, <laughs> no, that's true. And also, if it is if it is a, a stony road and there's like tree roots, the best break fall if you still fall yeah. on, on a root or on a rock, it's, you can still hurt yourself pretty badly. Yeah. So transition because you th- someone told you if you really want to learn Krav Maga, yeah. so that's you know that's the thing when students walk in, a lot of the same thing. I don't know what Krav Maga is. Some people uh, have an idea of what it is, and they can be difficult to teach because if what I'm teaching or what you're teaching mm. is not what they thought it's going to be, they leave with a bad taste in their mouth. But that's empty your cup, people. Yes. No, but going from transitioning from there to UTKM, what was that like? The difference. Um, what I liked about, um, I mean, the training was a little bit different. Yeah. Um, with the old gym, we did sparring too, but uh, not to that extent. And um, there was also, they were also trying to include a lot of other things. Like at some point, a Kali guy came in to yeah. teach a little bit of footwork. I see the cat's gone after my microphone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so at some point, Rambo will, might, might join us here on the table. Yeah. Um, and um, I also found the curriculum not as structured. Yeah. So at some point, um, they had, for example, gun disarm very early on. Yeah. Um, the knife stuff that they did. I mean, the drilling is important, but how they drilled it was, I was not very happy about that because if you do this kind of drilling that always just redirecting but not following through. Mm. If you do, if that kicks in in a real life scenario, you're just screwed. Yeah. Well, it says, and that's nothing against them. It's common in mm. the. It's. To, I think. I really think it's to do with the fact Israelis are not the best managers. Sorry, Israelis, but you're not. You guys are great innovators, but when you get managed stuff, when they go global, they mm. really don't like to manage stuff. And the organizations that have gone a structured route have done like this rigid, do what we say doesn't work. Um, because Krav Maga is supposed to be somewhat flexible. It's That's why it should be principle-based. Um, and a lot of people who are instructors don't understand what they're doing because they do it for a little bit, mm. take a course, start teaching it. And uh, when you, depending on the Krav Maga schools around the world, you'll get ones that are like, uh, I want to teach you how to defend yourself, but they don't develop the basic skill sets of the mm-hmm. students. They're like That's something traditional martial arts got right, was we need to build you up. But I, it's on the larger organizations. So when they do that, they're withholding too much information, right? Then it's like what, that doesn't make sense. I'm, I like to think I found a decent balance between professional application at mm. the higher levels. And hey, if you show that you can build your body and mind, then we can do the other stuff. But otherwise, you're not serious, not training. So you're gonna be be down there. And then the drilling, like if you don't train the nervous system, mm. that's how I've been framing it lately. If you don't train your nervous system, you're not gonna be able to defend yourself, right? And um, they also were not very, like, with our defense classes, there's also lots of uh, principles, and we talk a lot about, about theories, um, the whole, um, the color code and all these things that, as you already said, the nervous system. And they were really more focusing on the um, Aggression, physical yeah, stuff, yeah. not so much on what comes with it. Yeah, and that's common too. Like mm-hmm. if you go train with a lot of the Israelis or just their cohorts, it's or even in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. it's just go 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 go. 
I think that my theory on that is that because of its origins, military and police, it naturally attracts athletic people. When you mm. get athletic people who are tough naturally without being trained, we can train you most of the time. Uh, those people don't want to hear mm. the theory. They don't want to know the why. But then, you know, my my response to that is, hey, have you ever looked at special force guys? They know the theory. Mm. They have to know the theory. You can't just know the tough, right? But the Kramaga instructors who teach the special force guys, they're not actually teaching them theory. They have other classes for mm. that, like tactical theory and all that. Well, if you're building a crowd program from the ground up, we're working with civilians, so we have to put it in there, like to understand the nervous systems, like... Uh, if you are in certain special forces in Israel, you're going to learn all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, like, I don't know, the, the we're, we're recording on Canada Day, and if last week, I think, uh, the building in Florida collapsed, right? You, you didn't hear about that? I, I didn't oh. hear. Yeah, a whole building collapsed, like an apartment building. And as normal, the uh, search and rescue team, Israeli search and rescue team, they always offer help in emergencies, and they, and they went there. And they're essentially special forces, if it's the one I'm thinking of, or the subgroups and stuff. And I was just looking at an interview with CNN, which surprisingly, you know, they had the Israeli guy on. And they said the CNN guy was like, uh, hey, you uh, were working all night. I see the dust on your boots. Now I can see he's wearing a clean uniform because he put it on for PR. Um, but he, the CNN guy's like, you were searching all night. An Israeli guy's like, uh, yeah, we were working all night. We found some people. And the CNN guy interrupts him and is like, you mean bodies, right? And, C and the Israeli guy's like, no, we found people. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they're not alive. And it was like, he's been trained on PR. Mm. Like he's a he's a colonel who is not just search and rescue. That guy knows medical. He could probably do field surgery if he needs to. He has been trained on PR, right? When you learn these special forces, they 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 have all this other training. But the the Krav guys, they teach them just that. Mm. We ha I have you for two three hours. I'm gonna kick the crap out of you. Focus on the physical. And then they forget what the things that actually make it so good. It's the holistic thing that these special force soldiers are getting outside of that. And when they go in, when the special force guys who are also Krama guys start teaching, they teach differently sometimes when they're teaching civilians. They teach theory, they teach concepts, they teach that. And that's not coming out of the Krav specific programs, from what I can see. It's coming out of the fact they were special forces. Mm. And then the fact, you know, they have university level English at that level easily. And then if you're an officer, you're going to have, you have to go to university. And uh, in Israeli universities, all half the courses are going to be in English. Mm. So if you don't take English. So I could think someone watching that clip is going to be like, um, well, he just doesn't understand the CNN guy's English. It's like, no, mm. CNN guy is trying to play the words for illicit emotion. The other guy understands English just fine. <laughs> like he knew exactly what he was saying. So I think that's what's missing, I think, in the Krav world is that everything has been disconnected from mm. one another. And, uh, you know, if I go teach a seminar, uh, depending on where you're going, let's say I go to a school and they're expecting me to kick the crap out of them. It's like, OK, but every instructor can do that. Mm. Like, I want to see where you guys are at. What do you guys know? I want to leave something memorable, because if I just come and kick the crap out of you for a three hour seminar, it's like, well, did you really learn anything? <laughs> um that's a lot of me, though, uh, from my experience in the army. But it's common, like, you know, I don't know what Kromaga is. And people's idea of what it is is based on either YouTube or what their first instructor taught them. 
So I don't know what you you think about that because you've been part of the process over the last few years. Well, I mean, I was a total empty cup yeah. <laughs> when I came in, and even with the with the first gym when I, where I went to, I was just soaking it in, um, and I did it there for maybe a year, not even a full year. I don't think so. Um, and then I came to UTGM and I was still an empty cup because I thought I still don't know enough. I just like start start putting my toe into the water yeah. and there is still so much more out there. And then with the whole theory coming in and also blog posts, um, I started to become more interested in strategy, tactics. And I'm not I'm not an army person. So my parents were pacifists. Yeah. How I grew up, um, not not a lot of military or law enforcement input. It's just not my family. Same here. We go back to farmers and tradespeople. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And uh, in Eastern Germany, it was, I mean, you had people serving in the army for a certain amount of time, but it was just not very present. Yeah. At least not for me. And if it was present and was very often was a negative context, like, um, stuff that happened during Eastern Germany in the history where they had sent uh, the military in to calm down riots, for example. Yeah. So it always had a very like bad aftertaste. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me to pick up Krav Maga, it was... I didn't really have that on my to-do list, on my bucket list, but um, I liked it. And I also find that this whole theory part is helping me way more understanding and also applying it. Yeah. If I had to, of course. I always try to avoid conflict as much as possible yeah well i mean that's that's the idea behind the theory is i just, I, was, I was finding like people just weren't getting it because mm. the what if, the what if what if this what if that is because they don't understand the theory if you understand that the principles in the theory then you don't need to ask a million what if questions mm. you just frame it like things are going to go wrong you need to figure it out here's the basic techniques here's the mentality here's the strategy mm -hmm. go right and I, and I found it makes it a lot easier for a lot of people the ones who are willing to listen because some people are like I don't want to do uh, why are you talking so much yeah and then you have those people who already come in um, like they have a certain idea in their head and they're kind of disappointed because it's not playing out as they t uh, played it in their head yeah, yeah. I also um, back in Germany when I was doing judo my, one of my first judo clubs they also did self-defense mm. um, they also offered Japanese jiu-jitsu mm. so that's also a little bit different but it lacked the concept. It lacked um, it lacked all all the theory behind it. So we were learning techniques, and but I always was wondering how did I get there? How? Because I mean, yes, it can happen to you that you're being jumped and shit hits the fan right away. But I mean, usually there is a process to it. Yeah. Um, and well, they totally skipped that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this isn't specific to martial arts. Mm. This is teaching in general. It's like I'm sure you've had instructors that are just there to teach versus they really understand and are passionate mm. about it like i i'm not good at math probably well one because i'm lazy but i'll be honest with that but uh it's it's I, I i didn't learn it because no one made it interesting and no one forced me to so a lot of kids learn it because they're forced to but they mm. don't understand it and and i uh, had i remember asking in high school uh a teacher once like here's the they're like here's the formula i'm like okay but why does it how does it mm. work? They're like that's too complicated to understand, and and uh, it's not true though because if you're if you're looking now on the internet for math, you're seeing all these like programs and, and and visual things where they're giving you visual aids to explain how it works, and I, either it's because the teacher doesn't give a shit, 
or because they don't really understand enough. Because a lot of mm. high school math teachers are not even really math teachers. They just did math because they were okay at it, but they don't really understand mm. it. And the same is for a lot of self-defense in martial arts. It's, I'm teaching you this technique because here's the technique. And then everyone calls it self-defense. Mm. And then to me, I'm getting sick of this. Uh, it's not specific to today. It's been always because humans are involved. But uh, as life and death conflict is less and less acceptable in the Western world, at least, um, people are losing touch with violence a lot. And then they give you techniques that don't really work. And then you explain why. Well, that's the technique we learned. So mm-hmm. it's, it's you see this all over the martial arts. I'm going to get in a lot of fights in the near future with martial artists about self-defense like jujitsu guys are notorious. I'm teaching a self-defense seminar, but are you? Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure you are. I think you're teaching jujitsu and calling it self-defense. <laughs> I had a conversation with uh, judo people, and yeah. uh, they also, for whatever, I don't really understand. No, because they're really smart and uh, like really good, and have been doing, doing judo for so long. But they didn't know the difference between fighting and self-defense. Yeah, it's just baffled me, and I just like. Sp- Gave a, like gave them the explanation for it, and they, yeah, right, there is a difference. Yeah. <laughs> Before that, they weren't sure about it. You know, that, I've been emphasizing that a lot lately. Yeah. You probably noticed, and it's because people don't understand the difference because they uh, watch UFC mm-hmm. or they watch professional fighting, and then they're like, okay. And you know what Ron Rotem was saying on the last part? Like, yeah, if I take a fighter who's trained fighter and teach them self-defense, they're going to be hard mm-hmm. for mo- even a lifelong Kramaga person who hasn't done professional fighting. That's the truth because they're the physically gifted people. They have fast reflexes. They know how to use their body. They understand conflict on a one-on-one basis. Mm. But then you start giving them the strategy and you tweak the tools for the street and you give them uh, reflexive drills like 360 on top of what they already know and they're a nightmare. But for most people, that's not what you need to learn. Mm. You're going to learn it. You're going to learn how to punch and kick and box, but you don't need to be an expert. You just need to know how to stop that initial conflict and run out. You don't need to go 10 rounds with Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> no. Like It's not going to None of us would survive <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> now, judo, because you got back into it, now mm. you're a black belt, because you were a brown belt when you came, yeah. right? So how, how has that process been uh, getting back into judo to now? Um, it took me a while to get back into judo. Um, back in Germany, I was getting ready for my black belt. Then I got injured, so I had to abort the whole mission. Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, that's it. I'm a brown belt. Fine. Um, yeah, I came to Germany. I started uh, with Krav Maga. And at some point, because I had done judo for so long, it's just a big part of me. Yeah. Um, and I just love the complexity of the techniques where most beginners are always confused. Okay, where do I put my foot again? <laughs> I'm still confused in judo sometimes. Where does my foot go? <laughs> um, and um, then at some point I just thought, okay, I want to start judo again. I was asking around what's a good judo club, and then uh, a friend took me to a judo club um, close to Metro Town, and mm. I um, tried them out. But location was not ideal, and uh, the, the whole com- commute was not perfect for me so I was I was just not a good fit mm. I was also rather big club so it was big classes and um, I re- usually enjoy if a person uh, watches me gives me pointers to make sure I'm doing it right I mean I pick up techniques rather quickly and I have done judo for so long so it's pretty much body memory I just have to you know my body has changed so I have to adapt to that yeah. 
Welcome to life, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm over 25, so yeah. it's just not getting easier. Yeah. And uh, then I found a judo club very close to where I live, and uh, it's a small club, and they're super supportive. Um, I'm now helping out with the kids' classes. That's how the schedule you posted. You're yes. like four days a week or something. Well, I'm teaching the kids' classes on Wednesdays, and then on Friday night and on Saturday at noon, I'm just helping out running the classes. And there's a lot of beginners showing up, so we try to help them as much as possible. Yeah, well, judo is a hard, yeah, hard thing to start as a, if you have no martial arts experience. <laughs> Yeah, just the whole breakfall situation. If you start learning breakfalls as an adult, yeah, that will take a moment. Well, I remember I did judo. I did a police judo club for a bit when I came back from the army. Before I really, really got into Krav Maga, I was kind of well, I was doing Krav, but and they're just like, okay, you're gonna do front standing, front rolls, like leaping ones. And I'm like, the hell, like because I'd never done that, mm-hmm. and it's just like I had vertigo and all. And it's like it's a hard thing. It's like I guess, I guess we're doing it. Luckily, I'm just confident. I'm like, okay. Well, doing it, no yeah. problem. <laughs> but for a lot of people, that can be very, very intimidating, I think. Yeah, I mean, we see it in our classes, right? When, we, when we're teaching breakfalls, yeah. it's just the fear of falling. It's just as an adult, it's just so much bigger. And you always think, what if? Yeah. And for the kids, do I don't know, just do it. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's, you'd be sur- like the, well, you wouldn't be surprised because you can see it. Um, like the other day, uh, you weren't there, but we had a bunch of new students and we were doing headlock defense, which requires breakfall. And I was like, I had like three experienced students and the rest are all newer mm-hmm. students. I was like, okay, I have to teach the comp. It's one of the more complicated initial self-defense techniques. And, uh, I realized some of the people didn't even know breakfalls mm-hmm. and I had to like, oh, like I couldn't spend the time detail. I'm like, okay, just don't post. And, <laughs> but they pick it up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they're open-minded and know how to use their body, it's actually surprising for a lot of people. Because they see what everyone else is mm. doing, but if they see hesitancy and they see like everyone's brand new, mm-hmm. it's harder. But you get that group group thing going. Like same with the role when I did judo for a bit. Like, everyone's doing it. Well, I guess I'm gonna do it. Because a lot of people are in their heads. Like mm-hmm. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I have to do it. Yeah. But also, they don't want to embarrass themselves. They might look. They think they might look stupid or whatever. But yeah. that's not the point. I mean, we all start at some point, and uh, yeah. we just go from there. I mean, if you never start, you will never learn. Yeah, basically. Now, what was the process like getting the black belt for judo? Because they're very traditional as compared to say Krav, right? Um. Yeah, but they're not as not as bad in quotation marks as Germany. When yeah. I was getting ready for my black belt in Germany, I had to know the whole Gokyo. So that's to, just to explain what the Gokyo is. Go is the Japanese word for five, and Kyo is just the student grade. Yeah. So for my black belt, I had to uh, had to know and how to execute forty different throws, mm. all kind of ground stuff, um, pins, holds, chokes, um, arm bars. Um, I had to show self defense. I had to show some techniques or learn some techniques that were older that were not in any official books. Um, there was just sparse literature for that. And uh, um, yeah, and doing the uh, the kata, uh, judo has I think seven katas, and uh, I had to do the nagano kata. So I was working on those. Mm-hmm. And then here for Canada, you have to make sure that you're signed up, that you're a, a member of, that you have a judo Canada membership card. You have to sign up every year. And uh, for me, because of the age bracket I was in, I didn't have to compete. Just me being a living, breathing brown belt um, yeah. gave me points. And uh, once I had enough points, I went to Steveston to do the kata clinic there to learn the Nagano kata, which is one of the main katas. Yeah. 
and um, so uh, yeah so I did I showed the kata there and uh, I also had to do the first set of the Juno kata because I'm a woman mm. and the Juno kata is more self-defense oriented um, it is of course very very different from Krav Maga but I just I just thought okay just just do it <laughs> just, just do it no discussions just that's yeah. that's what they want you to do just just do it do you have question that they had 100 <laughs> years of tradition and <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, in Steveston, the, uh, the guys there uh, were also, were older instructors and senseis and, um, but super supportive again. And, um, uh, I did, I did quite well. Um, for me, it was also important to represent my judo club well yeah. too. It's just, it's just this whole, uh, Bushido code thing. I know it is rather new, not as old as they make us believe, but it's yeah. just, you know, we want to, because they were so supportive of me, we want to make sure, okay, make them look good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was not as complicated as it would have been for me in, in Germany when I was getting ready there. Yeah. I had to train a lot more in Germany. Yeah. Now, like, because that's interesting, like, obviously you don't have crop experience in Germany. Mm. I, and back then, I don't think there was crop in Germany. No. Uh, I think it probably late 90s, it probably started showing up. Uh, mar the martial arts attitudes in different countries is radically different. If I'm teaching in Eastern Europe or a lot of countries, Krav, I'm going to be, I have to run a more aggressive class. Because mm. if I don't, they're going to think something's wrong. Uh, I can still do the theory, but just have to push them harder. Versus Canada, if I do that, I'm not going to get people coming mm. back. Right? And, I, and I do not want a meathead gym, personally. But uh, maybe explain the difference, like how you felt, like this, the attitude between, mm. say, doing judo in Canada and doing judo. Now, granted, it was the 80s and 90s, so it's a little rougher, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, judo is a Japanese tr uh, martial arts. It is a rather young martial arts, not as old as others, like uh, jujitsu or. Um, I'm not sure about karate, but there is martial arts that have been around for yeah. way more hundred years than well, judo. Okinawan karate, probably quite a quite a while. Yeah. But modern karate is all, it's all because of uh, the Japanese Empire, mm. right in the late 1800s, and the British getting involved, and then that's where a lot of the, the ethos around Japanese martial arts actually really ca came from uh, our modern beliefs. But if you act, I, not to go too sidetracked, there was that really good series in Japanese. I forgot the history. The the of the unification of Japan in like mm -hmm. the fifteen sixteen hundred, and you saw they screwed each other over all the time. There's I know. No, there's no Bushido code. What, whatever, <laughs> whatever gives you the power, whatever yeah. makes you survive, and you yeah. win, that's perfect. It's, I mean, still, it was Japanese culture is very honor based even yeah. back then, but it's a lot more loose than we think of it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not as as uh, strict, um, or yeah, not as much Bushido focused as again as to try to make us believe. Yeah, Hollywood. But yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, again, so judo is a Japanese martial arts. So, and uh, Japanese tradition is very uh, there's a strong hierarchy. So, uh, when your sensei says you do something, you do you do it. If, if they tell you you jump, you only ask how high. Yeah. So there was no discussion. There is no negotiation, and um, it even translated over into your personal life. I remember one occasion. Um, I was maybe fourteen, fifteen at the time, and one of my fellow judo. Uh, friend, he was uh, he was out with his dad, and uh, he had his first sip of beer. Well, no, I mean in Germany the um, relationship to beer is a little <laughs> bit different than, of course, here in Canada. Yeah. And uh, um, so, but uh, my sensei got wind of it, and uh, he um, challenged the kid to a kumite, which is an open <laughs> fight. Go. 
Um, and the end of the story is that the kid ended up, I think, with a broken rib. Ah. So, I mean, that's just a, just, just a big no-no. Yeah. I mean, now, of course, it can't happen. Hopefully, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But, yeah, so back then, it was very strict. And you, you did as you t- were told. And uh, for you to progress through the ranks, you really had to perform well. You had to show what was asked for you to show. Um, I mentioned already the Gokyo, um, the five sets of eight throws. So for my yellow belt test, I had to show eight throws mm. and uh, the pins and all the ground stuff that belonged to it. Orange, there was another set of eight throws, so I had to show a total of 16 techniques. And it, so it always added up when you went through the ranks. And uh, I find here in Canada, it's a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. Um, Canadian way. Yeah, so I always have to remind myself, it's not Germany. It's <laughs> not Eastern Germany. Um, calm down. Um, but yeah, so it's very often, um, they're just, uh, it's just another milestone. They're showing their understanding to break falls. They're, insho- they're showing understanding for Vondori, for some techniques, and then they're getting promoted. And for me back then, it was always, we always had a, uh, designated ta- the date, usually in the winter time around close to Christmas, uh, where we had testing. So a board member came in and uh, was very strict, and everybody was uh, nervous. And we had to perform in front of this person, and we had to show that we know the techniques. Yeah. Um. So it always made it it always made us feel special too because we passed the test. We were good enough to now wear an orange belt yeah. or a green belt then. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, softer Canadians. It's sort of. I was saying in class the other day about that. That Canadians they don't really understand other cultures very well. They think they do, but they don't, and then they don't even know their own culture very well anymore. <laughs> yeah. But the martial arts world is always interesting because even mm-hmm. even say here, from one gym to another, there's different complete cultures depending on how the instructor yeah. wants to go. Like some gyms are just meathead go go go, which mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't think it's smart. Um, from a pr- just f- even from a pr- professional fighting, I don't think that's a smart way to train anymore. Um, we only have one body, and you got to make it last. And if you go that sort of just kick the crap out of each mm. other, you're gonna have a shorter life. You're gonna have much more injuries. Uh, if you're a professional fighter, it's, it's you might be able to do it for a bit, but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for sure. Um, I also didn't. I also don't like looking back. Um, you were not allowed to ask many questions. Yeah. And uh, now when I'm teaching the kids... Um, Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's un- in- inevitable with the yeah. kids, of course. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the younger kids, they're just soaking it up often. But with the older kids, the teenagers, um, if they ask questions or I encourage them to make their own decisions and uh, I like to have the conversation with them just because you don't want to drill them into robots yeah. right now. I mean, um, Eastern Germany was also just how the whole system worked i mean it was socialism back then when i started judo it was just like uh, following the instructions don't ask questions don't think for yourself and uh, i like to encourage the kids to think for themselves and ask questions um because i don't want to go down that route because i remember how long it took me to get out of this very strict way of thinking and uh be more confident, be more independent, yeah. and use my hat for actual thinking and asking questions. It's tricky, right? Yeah. Uh, what we saw over this last year, uh, most people are still not okay with asking questions. And the people that were asking appropriate questions mm-hmm. were being called nuts. And now we're finding out, no, they were right. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting with the questions thing. Like, I like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference because. Uh, 
you know, I'm not huge into that book. I watched the movie, but they, they, they created that computer to answer the question of the universe. And the answer was 42. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, this is in my head the last few weeks. So I'm like, this is a good time to talk about it. And people are like, what the hell? We waited a million years for this. It's because you didn't ask the right question. Mm-hmm. So on the, the, the matter of the questions, like people often will be like, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I'm like, well, actually there is. But if you don't ask questions, then you're never going to get towards the answer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really you need to teach people how to ask question Mm. and because so many cultures are taught uh don't don't question don't think don't don't trust your elders blah 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 Mm. when they're allowed to ask questions they don't know how to ask questions i mean i'm sure you've been in a situation it's quite human it's normal that you ask someone a question and they give you an answer like that's not the Mm. answer and you'll be like both parties get frustrated but the reason is you don't know enough about the thing to ask the kind of question that you need to ask in order to get the right question. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I taught. Like science is a large percent of science is failing and they never want to admit it that 80%, 90% of the history of science is failure and making mistakes because they're doing an experiment where they ask the wrong question. And so they keep asking the same wrong question. They keep getting the wrong answer. And then someone, some along the line, after everyone's already disproved that thing, they come back and ask the right question to that same thing. We find out they were wrong all along. And I think we're seeing that a lot this year. I don't want to get too down that rabbit <laughs> hole on this one because I'm quite angry about an experience I had this week uh, with regards to that exact situation. You're not asking the right question. Mm. So when it comes to martial arts, first of all, I would like to say the stupidest question is the instructor just spent the entire time in depth explaining it. And you ask a question that is easy to answer if you were paying attention. That's a stupid question because now you're just being disrespectful or you failed to acknowledge to yourself because it's not always about respect that you have a learning difficulty mm. and that's fine, but you need to put extra effort and it sucks for that person. Too bad. Otherwise, it's just painful for you and painful for the other person. But other than that, it's like a process. Like you need to build up your base knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know with Kramaga. My answer is usually you need to come and train more because a lot of those questions will get answered. You're just asking for too much right now. You need to get your head around the fundamentals and then you can start learning how to do it. Right. Same for judo. When you get your when you understand the fundamentals, you can start asking questions that will further develop stuff in in the right direction. The teaching teaching thing there, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I mean teaching is also helpful understanding stuff better. So when um, students ask questions um, it also helps me to rethink how am I teaching because for me I have been doing judo for a real long time I've been now doing craft for five years I'm losing track yeah. and um, I'm used to a lot of things and I understand it on a uh, I think on a good level and because I have judo experience I know how to move my body yeah. so many questions don't even occur to me because I just automatically already move that way I'm supposed to move. And then when people ask me questions, I try to take that step back and try to find a way to explain it to them so that it sinks in. But you're totally right. Sometimes people have to ask the questions, I don't know, 10 times till it sinks in. And sometimes I just think, just just do it. When you're doing it, you will will also figure out what works and what doesn't work. Well, that's true. Like some students I know, they just need to do. Mm-hmm. Some students I could explain it a million times. They're they're not going to get it until they just do their uh, 
tactile learners and uh as an instructor you need to to figure out okay is this a person that i need to just tell them to do it Mm. or is this a person that i need to explain it to depending on what they're doing of course if they're catastrophically bad (laughs) we got to fix that um but yeah if someone like 20 people keep asking the same question the instructor also has to realize Mm -hmm. i need to change how i'm teaching this so that it's clearer so that people ask that question less because obviously it's something i'm doing wrong Mm -hmm. that's why i actually started talking more in my teaching and i developed that because if i kept doing it the way the traditionally i was taught to teach Maga, it was just like i wanted to bang my head on the wall because people were not getting stuff and i just was not seeing the right results so i changed to my obnoxious style now that some people like some people hate (laughs) um I'm fine with it. I like it. It's always very informative. Yeah. Um, depends uh, on the week. <laughs> de- it depends on the week, of course. And uh, um, but, it, but I have to admit, it's also fun to watch people who are there for the first time. Yeah. What the hell is wrong <laughs> with this guy? <laughs> when you see their faces and it's just um, very entertaining for us who've been there for a while. Yeah. Um, but no, it's just, it's part, um, part of it, of the learning process. I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't, uh, n- I'm not not caring about it i just appreciate the more input because i just being new to canada there's lots of things i don't know yeah um how sometimes how things work right i'm still just rolling with the punches and do my research try to figure out how st- how stuff is done yeah and then just do it yeah. um but i still have a lot of lot of stuff to learn about the history of canada and i also understand bc is not quebec so there's differences yeah. there too completely different exactly yeah. so it's just always always input on that topic i always found it annoying like governments are like why don't you know how to do stuff and citizens are like why don't you know how to do stuff and i'm talk to people who are born and raised here and, and i'm like why don't you know how to do stuff and it's because governments aren't teaching people how the system works mm. uh the organizations barely teach people like hey you do realize you're bringing in people with all different languages and that they're better at it now in bc at least i don't know about the other provinces uh, you kind of need to give them the important information in their language and then you can encourage them to learn English as they go. Mm. Though that's that part's lacking nowadays a little bit. But like just from a practical sense, like you need to give them the materials so that they can understand it, but work them towards you should be speaking English mm-hmm. within a, f- a few years, at least a little bit. Um, some people don't even bother now because mm. there's so many groups of certain ethnic, uh, ethnic things. But I'm like, I see that as a failure of the system more than anything but it's not specific to immigrants which has focus on it and they still fail it's like again i know people like so a good example is the hospitals is that uh, the asian community which is a large community here if you come from china or you come from taiwan like they don't really ha- my understanding is they don't really have clinics you just go to the hospital for everything well that's not how our medical system works you're supposed mm. to go to the hospital if it's an emergency or you've, or you've been told to go to the hospital so it burdens the ERs with people who don't need to be there. They could have, if it's in the middle of the day, they can just go to a clinic. Mm-hmm. Or if it's something that can wait, you call your doctor and go tomorrow, go to a walk-in clinic. And I'm like, I always, it's like the system isn't teaching people. And you guys are complaining that it's burdened. That's a really simple way to do it. Mm. Is you just say, hey, you go to a clinic for this, you go to the ER for this, you go to your regular doctor for that, go to a specialist for this please try not to mix it up because it costs everyone money and then you get worse results. Like right now, the medical system's collapsing and they blame it on COVID and it's like, no, it's because you were poorly managing it before. If you, that was, the good question was, you always have to look at what was being said and done before the controversy. 
so that you can actually get away from the insane politics and realize, no, our paramedics are being treated like crap mm-hmm. in BC before the pandemic. And our medical system wasn't having doctors before the pandemic. And we don't have enough MRIs before the pandemic. And they all say, well, it's a pandemic. Well, no, it's a cover. Because mm-hmm. right? uh, too many people don't actually understand how it works. They can't question correctly back to that, that topic. right? So like, say, martial arts, uh, how many bullshit martial artists are out there? For so many years, you go to the dojo in your town and that was it and you learned from them and you had no way of knowing. And then maybe you go to another town, you maybe moved and then you learn a new experience and they're like, what, what the hell was I learning before? Now we have the internet. Mm. It's good and bad that now you can see what total bullshit is, but now everyone can get this idiot opinion out there, which is good though because I think it, freedom of speech is important for, for that reason. It develops okay, that person's an idiot, that person's not, hey, they said something, where are they coming from? How can we fix that? Because now you know where everyone's heads are at. Mm. You can actually work towards something better, though that's not what a lot of people are doing. <laughs> yeah, it it requires, I think, a certain level of intellect Yeah, and also a little bit of understanding of um, the martial arts. There's a lot of videos out there with techniques that when I look at them, I can analyze them, take them apart and understand how it works. Yeah. And I can also see, is it actually a real life thing or is it just um, some weird stunt yeah. that I would never be able to pull off? Yeah. I think it's also when people come in into self-defense, some people have this weird conception when they w- uh, watch all those uh, kung fu movies yeah. or action movies, you know, you see all those crisp techniques and everything always works. Yeah. And they don't understand that self-defense in real life, it's messy, it's chaotic, yeah. it's not always working as it's, as it's, it's supposed, supposed to, to be. Um, and yeah, so it's, I mean, the internet is good because of all the information. But again, as you said, there's also so many people who have weird thoughts. Yeah. Um, like the earth is hollow and there yeah. is uh, lizard, people. lizard people living in underneath yeah. surface. Easily disprovable, but you know. <laughs> Our earth is flat. Yeah. Um, that one that to me is just like I know <laughs> like I don't know are some people serious or they actually believe that <laughs> I, I have I have heard all kinds of stuff from people who really believe it the most surprising is always when you met this person and you think oh well it's it's a quite intelligent person you can talk to them and then they have those strange ideas like I heard the conspiracy that dinosaurs are not real that there's people out there that are burying the bones um, I mean I'm sure there are <laughs> doing stuff people doing stuff like that because people do weird stuff because you know oh, they get one area and put it in another but you know the evidence strongly does mm. not suggest that <laughs> yeah I know right and then you have to listen to those people and it's, it doesn't even make sense to argue because it's just a lost cause for me. I can just, yeah. I can't even. <laughs> can't even. Yeah, <laughs> well, you don't usually find out the truth of stuff till 50 years later when mm. everyone who didn't want the truth to come out is dead on any given topic. Or what was it? John Danaher said in that one of his podcasts he did recently, he's like, in order for science to progress, you need the old people to die. Mm. Meaning that the establishment professors and scientific people are often stuck in their ways and i've been doing this my Mm -hmm. whole life i don't accept that argument a lot of people will say listen to the person even martial artists this person's been doing it their whole i don't accept it that's a bullshit unscientific stance because hey now we have new information you were wrong shit deal with it right it's the martial arts i learned from this guy from my whole life now we find out a lot of kung fu styles don't 
work mm. unarmed hand to hand in a real situation anymore. And also different different people. Like I mean, uh, many people that come from China, they're just it's a different body type. Yeah. When you now look at Europeans, that te they tend to be just bigger, yeah. stronger. Yeah. And I mean, good luck finding the pressure point. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> work anymore, right? And uh, you know, that's actually if you think about it. Uh, I probably said this before, like for most of human history, the people who learned proper combat training were the wealthy people or yeah. and the people they were paying because everyone else was too busy trying to survive to spend the time to develop their skills. Mm. Like, you know, you you in Japanese culture, it's, it's pretty easy. It's like the, the, the samurai were elite, right? And the peasants had nothing against them. Like they couldn't do much unless they got like a number. Same in Europe, the knights were basically nobility mm -hmm. to become a knight was difficult everyone else was a peasant working farms and and so you could have bullshit techniques for a long time against most people other knights or other samurai you cannot have bullshit techniques but a lot of stuff you could probably get away with on the average person back then they would have no concept of mm -hmm. how to fight like they you know just average person doesn't know how to fight they start windmilling mm. right like nah, nah, Simpson style, and uh, now with the internet, you can actually see what actually works pretty quickly. And now there's you know nuances. The self-defense versus the fighting argument I'm having right now with a lot of people, um, but now you have to be driven towards the truth mm. faster because you'll be called out faster if you're not doing that. Uh, of course, if you're a powerful person and you're not being truthful, you can bury it a little bit, but it's coming out faster and faster. So I think the world is going to change. Now, on that note, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is to talk about your blog post series, um, Doom to Repeat. Um, for those, you can go on the blog. I'm going to do another one after this, breaking it down, just me. But I wanted to get Petra's expanded perspective on that post maybe go through them a little bit or if you remember them the general idea behind the post and and what you're feeling with regards to what's going on today and your experience um the doom to repeat part i think right now um we can afford to kind of be lazy yeah. i think um in many western countries um most people have it really well most of us we have a roof our, over our head, we have a job, uh, we pa can pay our bills, we don't have to worry about um, shelter, food, and um, basic stuff. So um, I find very often people start just, you know, I mean, it's okay to enjoy life, but you still have to ask questions. And uh, people start relying a lot on the government mm -hmm. without asking, okay, what are you doing? Is that the right thing to do? And... Um, I think back in uh, Eastern Germany, you didn't really have a chance because they played people against each other. You couldn't even trust your neighbor, sometimes not even a family member, to talk about stuff, to, discu to, to discuss critical situations or where you thought that that's not right, it shouldn't be handled that way. Mm. Um, because you would risk to be thrown into, into jail, being tortured, and never see the day of light again. And it might even destroy your family because they might take the kids away because the government held all the power. Mm. And uh, right now, people I find that in many uh, cultures, Western cultures, Western countries, we're back to the point that people just, you know, government will know what to do. And um, I find that it's um, it's um, it's a kind of lazy approach, and it scares me because I don't trust the government. Yeah. 
<laughs> Neither do I. Um, you can you can think I'm a conspiracy uh, conspiration. What's the word? Conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. theorist yeah. Sorry, um, but that's just my experience. Yeah. And um, and now very often there is a narrative that's being pushed, and if you don't follow the narrative, there's a big group of people that there's is just <laughs> hey Rambo, um, you're kind of being crucified yeah. in quotation marks um, online and it might even cost you your job because yeah. it's just um, don't rock the boat don't yeah don't rock the boat yeah and um, yeah Rambo is my annoying little cat oh well, that's fine <laughs> I had a cat for years and years and years um, and uh, also if you're speaking out if you're not following the narrative if you're asking questions if you're asking questions that are inconvenient for a lot of people so they're trying to shut you down. They're trying to uh, take your livelihood away, mm. if I'm exaggera exaggerating here. And uh, it also scares other people to speak up and ask questions. And that's that's really scary for me because we're, we're running down that road again where the government holds all the, all the power or a group of people is holding all the power and you're not allowed to ask questions or um, do anything outside of a certain, of a certain uh, parameter. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, when I see that it's just so confusing. And if you're trying to be rational about it and try to bring examples, um, I was watching lots of YouTube videos about certain topics like socialism versus capitalism and uh, all those different ideas, economic structures, um, German history, other history of other countries. And um, I think the time we're living in is is very dangerous because it's kind of we can make a choice we can either remain on that path we're on and risking tumbling down uh, the road uh, where I came from from socialism and uh, again having a group of people in charge of everything and you're not allowed to do anything else yeah. or we're really trying to ask questions and to try to find out what can we do to make it better or what can we do to avoid that situation and it's I don't know. Um, I also don't trust the media. I always have several websites I'm checking to find out what's actually going on. Yeah. And I still feel there's pieces of the puzzle missing. Yeah. missing. Um, but it's also... I find that there's a lot of people who are just... Yeah, the, the government told us to do that and let's just follow their instructions. Yeah. And uh, um, it makes, it's makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Question everything. No, it's like, um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine and they were really getting into this topic that they're re-educating themselves. And they kind of had this generic response of like, well, I should trust the experts. I'm like, but why? Mm. Right. And who's experts? And, and then they said, wait, so you're telling me like I can look this stuff up myself now and educate myself just like I did with this other topic? And I'm like, yeah, that's the beauty of the Internet, Right. The thing is, is, you know, there's something called spycraft where the and I read, read this book called The Volunteer, Canadian guy, Canadian military, went to Israel, converted, served and went into Mossad. And he was talking about they just need to confuse you mm -hmm. in spycraft. We just need to release 10 to 20 percent crazy shit that sounds insane because truth is stranger than fiction mm -hmm. sometimes. And that confuses people. People don't know what to believe. And people like we're designed in a way where stability is our preference we want to know exactly what's going to happen people are happier when they have stability and when you start telling people you have to do more work for yourself 
the answer isn't always yes or no because mm-hmm. people have a hard like preference to I want a black and white yes. binary choice. Because if you actually listen to good scientists and good experts, they will very. It drives me a little nuts because sometimes you guys can say a little bit more definitive answers, but it's I I, I mean I'm I do it too. So it's it's not a yes or no answer to that. I can't give you an answer. You can see the look on people's faces. It's like. But I just want an answer. I'm mm. like, but the question you asked is not a yes or no. It's complicated, and I need to explain all this stuff. So you'll see them fleshing it out, and the politicians, most of whom don't understand the stuff themselves, even the ones who have an MD behind, they don't always understand. They're being yelled at by people who understand even less mm-hmm. sometimes, although, let's say, our current PM has no idea what he's doing, whatever. Um, and it, it's all about appeasing the emotional state. Instead of in, in educating people at a one-on-one level, you need to learn. You need to grow. You need to make decisions. You need to, and for a, That's how a true democracy works because mm. everyone's informed and understands how to do things uh, so that we can make rational decisions. Now, on the Internet, there is a censorship problem going on. People mm. say there's not. There is because there is all doctors... COVID is a good example of doctors and scientists who are experts in the field too, as well, countering what's being said. Mm -hmm. You can't find their videos on YouTube. Yeah, I noticed that as well. And it's also for other scientists like, uh, for example, James Lindsay, who and with his peers, they issued those very, very stupid crap uh, articles. Which one's James Lindsay? I've lost track of who uh, I read. James Lindsay, he is... He is he and Heather Pluck, Pluckrose, I think, is her name. Yeah. Um, they uh, um, published uh, articles in very renowned science magazines. Oh yeah, yeah that was okay now. And yeah. uh, um, they were just bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they published bullshit studies that yeah. were just made up to suit the narrative, and they got passed through the peer review yeah, on exactly. half of them. Well, some of them already got published. Most, a large percentage of them were on the way to being published. Yeah. And what they were trying to prove is that, and they, their studies were just so insane. I can't, like, I can't. Like, they just, he was like, what stupid thing can I put in it to make it even funny? Yeah, but they used certain trigger words. Yeah, to the buzzwords. Yeah, the buzzwords. Like, it just showed you, while peer review is still worthy of something, it's collapsing. And then... I still have to use, hey, this study's peer-reviewed to get people to listen sometimes, mm. right? Vitamin D, the governments didn't talk about it regarding COVID, nothing. And I was like, hey, I have 100 peer-reviewed studies from around the world saying something. And people are like, well, I didn't hear about that. It's like, yeah, because you have to know where to look. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to find them. A lot of them are publicly available. Luckily, academia is taking its head out of its ass regarding that. And you can get access to all sorts of papers now. Uh, most people don't want to read them. That's academia's fault because you're writing for each other. You need mm. to. I think they need to do. Uh, if you're going to publish it in a publicly available thing, you have to have a toned down version, less less technical things. So what is what was the premise? What was the findings? And uh, just simply so people actually can read it, because a lot of people is like I can't understand mm. that. And even then, they do that a lot of the time to confuse people. So even their own peers don't even understand the bullshit that's in their papers. Like I figured, I, I mean, yeah, I did psychology. It's not a hard science, but even then, I realized that's what the hell. This is. I read so many papers are just bullshit. Like they're not saying anything. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of words. What, yeah. What's the conclusion? It's because they didn't get a statistical thing. They should have just said, "Here's my thesis. This study did not work." Clearly, doesn't mean your thesis isn't wrong, or right or wrong. It means that maybe we should look at it differently. Ask a different question. But that's the funding. How does mm. funding work? Oh, you didn't show anything? We're not going to give you more funding. 
I think this, the solution to this problem is governments shouldn't be the source of funding and corporations shouldn't be the source of funding. You need scientists doing science for science sake, funded by scientists. And a lot of them have money. And they just don't want to put their money where their mouth is. Uh, it's like um, all the studies now to do with PTSD and MDMA and psilocybin. Uh, now, it's a one good thing I'd like about Obama is he allowed the studies to continue. However, they've been struggling to get financing for it. Uh, they've been getting it from private donors who, for personal reasons, mm. like Tim Ferriss has been giving millions to that, progressing this, which seems like it's going to make most psychiatric medicine obsolete. Uh, from what I can see. Uh, but you're going to see heavy resistance from the pharmaceutical companies because guess what? And don't do this, but you can, because it's still illegal in a lot of places, but you can go grow mushrooms in your backyard. You, If you have chemistry knowledge, you could hypothetically, and I, again, it's a still illegal and it's dangerous doing chemistry in your house. You could make MDMA technically, right? So this is not substances that pharmaceuticals can control. They're not substances that governments can control. The, the whole war on drugs showed they can't mm. control this shit. And yet it's going to be a mental health revelation, revolution. And there should be legal in Canada soon uh, for legal therapy uses. Uh, I'm not sure what the time frame is on that. But you find that it took private money from people, not corporations, just private money who genuinely want to see research progressing forward due to a personal reason. And you're starting to find answers. We could have found... 30, 40 years ago because they were doing it back then and got stopped because of government interference, uh, misinformed public, corruption, pharmaceuticals, like, you know, and, and I'll be fair to the pharmaceutical companies. Yes, you have done some st good stuff over the years and without you, a lot of diseases would not be cured. But most of what you're doing is bullshit. Most of the pills you're handing out are bullshit, right? As uh, uh, I had a staph infection on my finger, right? And... Normally, what do you do for staph infection? It's like here, you can see it's scabbing now because it's healed really quick. I didn't take antibiotics. Now, I know first aid. So I was like, oh, shit, that's an infection. So I know that if it starts spreading past a localized area, I'm going to the hospital and I'm getting antibiotics because I could die. But I'm watching and I'm like, hmm, should I, should I go get antibiotics? Because that's what we're told. But then I remember listening to the Gordon Ryan story about how he took antibiotics oral antibiotics for his staff and that's the reason his stomach is messed up and then i found out that antibiotics actually do a lot of oral antibiotics mm. do a lot of damage to your gut biome and as we're finding out through private research for the most part that the gut biome is really important how you eat and etc so i'm like ah, okay well it's not spreading locally past where it is i'm hesitant to take oral antibiotics now i will if i have to because it works and then uh i guess my now wife was looking it up <laughs> uh apparently there's a shit ton of peer-reviewed studies saying aloe vera mm. we have an aloe vera plant so we just cut it up started using it boom started healing really quickly and i'm like wait so you're telling me that there's a lot of science behind this the peer-reviewed studies are out there but if I go to the doctor, they're immediately going to be like, here, take a pill. And I don't understand how people can't see a problem hmm. with that. The science is there. Anecdotally, I can say it works. Going in, I would have been like, 
oh, I'm not going to do that. That sounds like bullshit medicine. Like, But then you forget a lot of medicine originally came from nature, like aspirin is one of the first big pharmaceutical things. Um, it comes from willow bark, I believe. So I imagine someone at some point was chewing willow bark to cause some pain relief, and then they just turned it into a pill. But now if I tell someone, hey, just go chew willow bark, they're going to look at you like you're nuts. Mm-hmm. There's more to it than that, I'm sure. But you realize when you start digging and asking the right questions, you start realizing everything, a lot, oh, not everything, a lot of what I was told of why things are the way they are, like martial arts do this technique because it's bullshit. You call it out, you're called a conspiracy theory, but it's like it's not. Here's the evidence. Nope, nope, pharmaceutical companies are good. Well, first of all, no, they're not. They're, the way they operate is bullshit, right? So, I mean, I don't know how bad we are or are going down the path of it. Because well, you grew up in Eastern Germany, right? During the communist era. Yeah, socialism. Yeah. Because that's interesting. You use the word socialism, but here we will be using, call them just outright communists. Mm. Do you think there's much of a difference, though? Or is that just what you grew up being told to call it? Um, it was called socialism. I think socialism is kind of in between. It's not full communism yet. Yeah. Uh, communism really means that everything is owned by i mean theoretically it's owned by the people but yeah we all know that doesn't work um but that's the idea behind it and socialism there is still um so my parents had their own little shop so they were still allowed to like they had their private little enterprise i mean it was very tiny but it was still um okay for them to do so socialism is not full communism yet but it is it's it's uh, just i think the last step before it turns into communism and uh, yeah so we um had that situation and it of course affected all our lives Mm. um every area of our life and uh it's just not where i want to go again yeah it's a lot of people from eastern europe who moved here yeah are very annoyed Uh, and uh if you're in eastern europe now they're kind of going more sort of a fascist route right now which is a little but we'll see it's mainly as a backlash to the socialist yeah, ideas the counter reaction kind yeah, of to it it's the, the pendulum is swinging and so the, the people on the left right now don't understand why that's happening mm. oh they're just this now fascism communism it's not as black and white as people think there is a lot like you're saying oh well you grew up at socialism my parents could have their own little shop well that's the main one of the main differences from fascism communism is you can still have privately run stuff in fascism and communism. You can't, mm. but they're both end up being authoritarian dictatorships almost yeah. always. So everyone thinks they understand the two, but they're so intertwined in their policies that they end up looking the same half the time. It's just like on a principle thing, uh, the state owns everything for the people or you own your stuff, but the state gets to decide in the end anyway. Yeah. And you have to follow, of course, um, this, the state's policy and like, during the 30s in the Third Reich and when the Nazis were in power, there was many big uh, industrial enterprises like ThyssenKrupp, the big st- uh, steel manufacturer. Yeah. Volkswagen. Fo- yeah, Although Fo- was that owned by the state? Bre- mm, no, I don't, no I don't think so. Um, but the, uh, Volkswagen was created during the Nazi time. Yeah. It was supposed to be a car for the people, affordable. Yeah. Which is hilarious because they were... You know, more fascist, even though they're Democratic Socialist Party, which gets confusing because people will be like, they weren't, they were fascists. It's like, but they were called the Democratic Socialists. Yeah. Can we talk about that? <laughs> it, 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 it is, it is very confusing. Even for me, looking back, it's just sometimes a big blur. And I mean, 
um, I mean, as soon as it becomes authoritarian, if one person has the power over every decision, that's just when it really goes south, and yeah. you don't want that. Which in Canada, it's starting. They're starting to try to move that direction. It, it's weird because you're getting. I'm not sure what to think about it in Canada because you're getting provinces that are very right wing going authoritarian, which in the traditional thinking is what you would say, yes, that's expected. But then you have very left wing provinces going super authoritarian. And it's not specific to a political ideology. And it's again showing that it doesn't matter whether mm. if it's fascism or communism or socialism, what's bad is authoritarian dictatorial behavior yeah. where the people's opinion doesn't matter. And if you're taking a stance that the people are stupid, which you're going to hear me saying all the damn time. Well, guess what? If you're in the leadership position, educate them so that they can make more informed decisions. Like that's a big part of the reason I am the way I am because I want to educate people to make more informed decisions. Right? Do I think half the world is a bunch of morons? Yes, but I'm not going <laughs> to sit there and tell you how to live your life if you're not bothering me. But, you know, everyone gets fear and oh, my group is going to get this. And then they start telling other people how to do as a backlash. And, and oh, there's just a small group of people. Yeah, well, look at Saddam Hussein. A small group of people maintain power in Iraq because they had they took the power and kept the power. Well, they uh, they were very like they took the initiative. Yeah, they were actively doing something. There's so many people who are just leaning back and saying, "Ah, we'll be fine." Yeah. Um, but uh, what's the what's the um, saying for evil things to happen? It just takes the good people to not Sit do anything do or something. Yeah. And that's the truest thing. And I was, you know, I've said it before. I was annoyed at the martial arts community. Most of them knew that something was wrong with the policies and you can i can i can go dig up the evidence if you really want me to sit there for a month i'll put together like a hundred page essay about why we didn't need to close down for covid and i can find evidence scientific evidence and i can throw it down people's throat and they're still gonna be like well yeah you're you're not an expert i don't need to be i'm i'm drawing from them that's the whole point of experts is to focus the energy so that they can gather the basic information but that doesn't mean i still can't interpret it and and look at it and say like hey uh, and I understand some people can't okay well then you have to be even more careful about what you're believing and the martial arts community just kind of rolled over mm. you know I don't know here it wasn't too bad but I, I probably at least 10 schools that I know of closed down in the province if you couldn't make it through um, which I think well, given the government handouts in Canada at least the, there's probably something wrong with your business model if that's the case because I was in, had financial trouble and I made it through but if we didn't I think if they didn't hand out that money Canada Canadians would have stood up a little bit more because they would have felt the pressure a lot more um, but I just found very few people really wanted to stand up in Canada and say no we're educated hypothetically why didn't why aren't people saying no in fact in Toronto they're demanding to stay locked down some people and it's like what is wrong with you people i see it as a mental health issue they would rather be in their house away from people and they want to force that because they prefer it mm. so they want to force it on other people because uh who wants to deal with people they don't like right i'm an introvert if i can avoid people yeah. it's, it's the greatest thing ever yeah. but even for me i was um living by myself and didn't really have a person to talk to and i felt the impact of that yeah, yeah. i mean um that was just not healthy. We're we're social creatures, so we need interaction. Some people need it more, some people need it less, but it, you always need some interaction with people. Yeah. 
I think what I also find very disappointing is that people don't really talk to each other anymore. It's more like a screaming competition. Yeah. Who is yelling the loudest? Um, Who is being heard the most? And um, people are so stuck on their opinion and they don't understand that for science, for example, for ideas to progress, you need a constructive dialogue. You cannot just say, no, that's that's how it is. Yeah. And as you already said, it's not black or white. There's always different angles to stuff and you yeah. have to understand at some point you ha might have to change your opinion maybe yeah. because you were wrong. Well, that's the thing is you have to decide when talking to people. Like, are they being stubborn because they're just being stubborn? Are they being stubborn because they don't want to admit they don't know something? Are they being stubborn because I didn't make a good argument? You know, for me, a lot of people will call me stubborn throughout my life. And I keep telling people, no, you haven't convinced me. You've made a poor argument. And so a lot of people's stance is, well, either I've had people tell me, well, I can't argue with you. It's not going to work because they, they don't want to go do the time to get the information to convince me to change my mind. And people interpret that as stubborn. It's like, no, I'm, I will change my mind, but I'm, I take a conservative approach to it for a reason. Because if, oh, we get this new piece of information and we all jump off that cliff and we're wrong, crap, we're dead. Oh, you mean gravity's real? Shit. <laughs> um, I'll change my mind. You can ask my wife. I will change my mind. But you, you have to, let me see the evidence. And I don't want to hear it from one person. I want to see it from a bunch of people. Can you get it from more than one study? Because if I can see more than one study from more than one country, I'm going to go, oh, okay, there is something about that. Because if it's just one uh, one study from one place, it could be biased. There's heavy biases. So you have to look, are people saying this all over the world? Because now I'm going to start to listen because it's like, oh, okay. And most people, again, they don't want to look up the research themselves. They want to rely on the experts or the government. You want to change someone's mind, it could be that your argument is shit. It could be that you don't actually know what you're talking about and they know something you don't. Um, you know, they say you should listen to everyone. They might teach you something. That's true. They might, but it might be something completely irrelevant to the argument you're having. It could be uh, they just knew something about a flower you didn't know or, you know, something like that. But when it comes to the staying on that argument of we're arguing about this, this person clearly doesn't know enough. So if someone is getting frustrated with you, they're trying to convince you of something, you actually sometimes need to start asking them questions to see if they even know. Because if you are like, I know something they, they, they don't, I need to find out, do they actually know this? Because a lot of people will have arguments or conversations on the assumption that the other person knows what you know, and they don't. Uh, the more you know and the more intellectual you are, the more frustrating it is because you have to end up explaining everything. And if you're not an expert on that topic, it's hard to explain. Like, you know, I, at Kramaga Martial Arts, I can go hours easily, but uh, if it's like, uh, you know, the spike protein stuff with the COVID thing, like I can kind of explain it, but I don't understand it enough. Like I got the gist that I under I can make an informed opinion, but I don't know enough to go into depth to explain the, the detailed science. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will tune out. Well, you don't understand it enough. I'm like, well, I know enough to make an informed decision about this now. Okay, uh, I don't know the science. So if you want to, I can point you in the right direction, and you can go do the studying yourself. And then of course they're like, no, I don't want to do that. I, I, ain't, ain't nobody got it. <laughs> It's also, um, right now the tendency is uh, to focus on emotions. How does it make a person feel? Yeah. But, um, I mean, I'm German, so we don't have too many emotions <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> what are emotions? 
um so and that i find that frustrating because we're sugarcoating a lot of stuff just not to hurt somebody's feelings yeah. but i mean at the end of the day facts are facts yeah. gravity works i mean you can like it you don't have to like it but it is is a fact yeah well, with um, that one, it's easy. Like say, even a thousand years ago, before we had the understanding, it, you can say, "I drop this ball, it mm-hmm. will fall." That is fact. They then spent the next thousand years arguing about why the ball drops, but the fact is that right, you the go ball drops. Yeah, you go hypothesis, right? This, you do experiments, you do research, or you actually go anec. Here's the thing: I always forget this, and I think a lot of scientists have forgot this. It starts with an anecdotal observation or anecdotal thought based on something. Sometimes it's nothing. Because we have uh, the bias to see patterns when there aren't sometimes as humans. But you start with that. Because sometimes if you look at anecdotal observation when witnessed in groups after groups after groups after groups, that's an experiment in itself. And I don't need to do a double-blind placebo effect to see, hey, something's going on. We can debate about the why. So you go anecdotal, hypothesis. Now it becomes to theory. Theory is, in fact, yet. It's a working theory. As we get more and more information on every topic on the universe, like the brains in Futurama, we're going to destroy the whole universe so there's no new information and we <laughs> cannot say we understood everything. Um, and then it goes to facts. So the more we know, the more facts we will have. But just because if you listen to a lot of scientists who are being like realistic, they're like, well, it's not a fact yet because they, they can't say with 100% certainty. It drives me nuts because I'm like, listen, colloquially, it's, it's a, a generally accepted fact that you could say that doesn't mean it's 100 percent true, but it's generally accepted until some new information comes out. But they don't like to use fact because the reality is most of our knowledge isn't hmm. factual because it's not at 100 percent. Even if it's at 99 percent, they don't like to call it a fact. Uh, like I was listening to Brett Weinstein who's being heavily censored on the Internet hmm. because he's talking about covid. He's an evolutionary biologist. He knows what he's talking about. He works with people who know what he's talking about. Uh, you know, he's one of the first people that I heard of on the internet saying this was a man-made virus, right? He got called all sorts of names. Fauci's email says this was a man-made virus. Now, in detail, explaining how it's a man-made violent, right? Um, but he, listening to Brett Weinstein, does not like to say things factually. He's super anal about it. It drives me nuts because I'm like, ah, man, come on, just give me a little bit sometimes. No, well, it's like it's 95% certain. I can't, I can't say different. It's like that's enough. I like to take the, the Jeff Bezos Amazon, 70%. It's good enough to make an informed... The, hmm. It's not good enough to say it's fact. It's good enough to make a reasonable informed thing. But they are like, if I say it's a fact, I'll get sued. Because people are trying to bring them down, even though they're being more honest. right? And th- this is a guy, by the way, I don't know if you followed him, who 10 years ago, along with God Sayed, were screaming about university campuses, going mad woke and psychotic yeah and i followed him i, yeah. I uh, read about the evergreen incident yeah. and everyone is ignoring him and now it turns out he's being true based on that i'm gonna say he is more honest than a lot of other scientists mm. because it's clear he has lost a lot in order to get where he is and get his voice out there so i think he based on that he's he's, lo- he's put his ass on the line he's lost money he's lost jobs he's lost prestige to put himself out there that makes him a more honest person. So I'm going to be more willing to listen to a guy like that than someone like Fauci who's been caused lying mm. constantly. And they'll say, well, we meant good. I don't care. You lied. Be honest. And he's tr- still trying to... Still trying to. Still trying to explain why and uh, he still uh, ex- I know expects why. people to n- not question him. I, mean, I know why they do it. 
they all come to the same conclusion. They think you're all idiots. Again, I can think you're all idiots too. I'm still not going to sit here and tell, I'm going to try to educate you and give you an informed decision. You can make your decision one way or the other. And if I'm in an area where it's surrounded by people I think are idiots, then I get to move. That's the whole point of a free society. If Canada goes full ridiculous, I'm probably moving to Texas, <laughs> so, uh, which would, very, would be very unfortunate, but uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Well, I mean, I still have my German passport, so yeah. if push comes to shove, I can still go back to Europe. Now, Germany's... I think the EU is going to collapse, personally. Germany will be fine on its own, but that... that Because uh, they're basically propping up the EU. Like, France is in yeah. a weird position right yeah. now where they're going to go sideways one way or another. They're having Because I think if, uh, if Le Pen... This is French politics, that I'm not an expert. You have Macron, who's much more of a globalist... EU supporter no one wants to talk about the fact he married his high school t his teacher they were probably sleeping together before but they're French so it's fine over there just saying Europeans Europeans um, and then you have Le Pen and the thing is Le Pen is her father was kind of Nazi-ish mm. that doesn't make her a Nazi but she is more right wing the question is how right wing that's where I'm like because a lot of Jews are like no you cannot get her in but I'm like The French are very... Quebec is doing this at Canada's expense, unfortunately. The French, rather Quebecois or French, are very like, this is our culture. Don't tell us what to do. And they're potentially seeing a civil war. Like, it's hard to say. Like, if Le Pen gets in, I think the next election's in a year and a bit. If Le Pen gets in, it might diffuse some of the tension one way, but it'll go the other way. And then the EU will probably collapse if that happens. But I'm not for a centralized control anyway. But I don't know what she's going to do. How authoritarian is she going to be? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we have to wait and see if yeah. she's getting elected. And yeah. yeah. Also, people have to understand that right wing means something different in the US, yeah. in Canada, and in, in Germany, for example. Yeah. So you cannot just... Right wing is not always the right wing y that you know from your country. So yeah. If you vote conservative in Canada, you're actually, in many things, much more conservative, traditional conservative, than say a Republican in California, it's it's very different. Uh, Canadians, though, as a whole, even the conservatives as a total, though, are politically probably more left wing than most Americans. Mm. Uh, see, I just gave two things where it's like, well, they're traditional conservative, but they're also progressive, because most conservatives in Canada didn't care as much about the gay marriage thing as they did in America. So in that sense, it's like, eh, whatever. And no one gives Stephen Harper, the former conservative prime minister, credit for that because he openly was against it, but he shut it down, shut down the debate, said, no, gay marriage is legal, leave it alone, we're not talking about this anymore because he said Canadian public wants this. Mm -hmm. That's leadership. And he was demonized by the media, demonized for that because, you know, it's being influenced by Americans, I think, at this point. And that is a good point, because I don't even know what right or left. I think extreme right in Germany is straight up Nazi, right, I guess? Yeah, we're going, yeah that's where they go back brown. Yeah, yeah. Which is still illegal, though, in Germany. Um, it depends how far they go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I mean, the Secret Service in uh, Germany, they have certain organizations on their list that they're monitoring to yeah. make sure it's not escalating again, yeah. how it did in the 30s. But um, you can have your own opinion, but again, it just shouldn't be escalating down that route where um, immigrants are being ha um, what's the word I'm looking harassed. for? Harassed. Harassed yeah. or even worse. I mean, there were back in uh, 
20 years ago or so there were a couple um, immigrant homes or facilities like big uh, big homes where they when you came to when you came to Germany that it was the, just the, fir the first stop for you to yeah. go where you could live yeah. and um, they were burned down so there was big issues there and um, there's also the tendency in Germany to think that if you're in Eastern Germany the there's a higher probability that people are more Nazi uh, leaning towards the the right the right wing yeah um, which is opinion, ironic which yeah but I mean sure okay but I mean these ideas are still around even I mean yes we lost the war but those people they were still around you yeah. cannot just uh, flip the switch in the head of people and say this is not how you're supposed to think anymore change that that's not gonna happen they're just not talking about it all openly yeah. I mean after World War Two, there was uh, a system called our process called denazification. Yeah. So they were just uh, put into camps, educated, and then after two weeks they were out on the street again. Yeah. And I mean, you cannot change a, per a person's mindset in two weeks if they're really like hardcore believing all those ideas. Yeah. No chance. And um, they still spread it, spread it uh, in their families. They're raising their kids a certain way. So that's just something. Education is key. So I mean. Education, not indoctrination. Exactly. Right. So that's a big difference. And uh, for me, education also means that you have access to all kinds of information. So yeah. it's not being censored. And that's what I'm seeing now, right, right now again, that there are certain books that are being censored you shouldn't be reading. I think it's The Catcher in the Rye that is again on the, on the, the list. Classical American literature yeah, is being or, censored. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird, I yeah, think it's, it's again. Pulled, being pulled in. I mean, this is an American school. Yeah. So. Um, and that's just for me, that's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I heard someone there's this theorizing they're going to eventually ban 1984 so that you don't know what an authoritarian government is. And it's basically banning George Orwell because he tells people. Or Animal I Farm. Yeah, and I feel like they got their playbooks right from him or something. Mm. You know, I almost feel. But I don't think so because obviously stuff was being done by Stalin. I think a lot of the playbooks comes out of Stalin. Yeah, and, Lenin, and, Stalin. And, and they Goebbels started, yeah. as well, like these these propaganda experts that people are still copying from them like stalin was photoshopping people out of textbooks before photoshop was even a thing <laughs> i know right it's i mean it's fascinating but I, it's also terrifying yeah, yeah um whenever i think of stalin for me it's just terrifying that this person was in power and what he did um i still have to read uh archipelago gulag from solzhenitsyn yeah. I don't know if I can do that to myself, but... Uh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have to be in the right mindset. So when I'm having one of my bumpy moments when uh, the burnout and depression is like sneaking yeah. up, so I have to be careful what I'm reading. Yeah. And I'll usually keep it light. I um, think that would be very depressing. I, I don't read yeah. certain books because I get the idea and I'm just like, I don't want to do that to myself. <laughs> yeah, and it's just when you read that, you're just like... It's just sometimes it's so unbelievable what in one human can do to another human. It's yeah. all and only because they think they have it, have the wrong idea in their head. For prisoner's dilemma, yeah, essentially, or uh, the Stanford prison experiment, mm. which I believe was redone in Germany, and they got similar results. Even when you try to take the extreme bias of the original of uh, uh, I forgot the guy's name, the original done, mm. which it was a biasly done, and they they slam him a lot for it and saying oh that was but he's he was right the in group out group uh, yeah. all the, the set we set our roles and you're seeing the left right now try to go mm -hmm. way too out the pendulum like to the point where it's ridiculous um but you start seeing that the now since we breached the topic mental health <laughs> right yes uh 
as much as you want you, you, know, you don't have to put everything out there of course but what's been your experience uh, with that um, mental health I wasn't really aware of it when it started for me I think it started um, end of school starting university um, that I had a little bit of where it started uh, that my mental health was not in a good place yeah. but it was not a very open topic you would not publicly talk about it so because Germans have no feelings. <laughs> Germans have no feelings. As a German, you have to function. Nobody gives a gives a crap about how you feel. Yeah. Um, you're not supposed to be emotional. Mm. That's just uh, a no no. And uh, being open and uh, talk to your employer about that you're depression, that you have depression, or you have a burnout, and you need some time off. That's just uh, career suicide. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, I think it is a little bit. It's part of my family history. Mm. I think my dad had a tendency to that um so just to give a little bit of a insight my dad was married before he married my mom and he had three children um they're all significantly older than me um but for me they're still my my siblings um so unfortunately his uh, wife passed away and then um, he married my mom and my oldest brother always exhibited strange symptoms and um they tried to treat him, but back mm. then it was just not as developed, mm. uh, the, the techniques. Totally experimental back then. Yeah, and um, I think for some some approaches, it was just not helping him. They, they thought they were helping him, but sometimes he just might have needed a kick in the ass. Yeah, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, he had um, the tendency to pretend to hurt himself to get, mm. uh, get the attention. Thinking, yeah. And uh, it got crazier and way more obscure. And uh, at the end, uh, it went so far that he actually, unfortunately, mm. passed away. And that that was just seeing my dad suffering like that. It was just, yeah. it was hard to watch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so going through that, uh, then also going through some changes myself, uh, school, university, life. And at some point, it was just too much. And it started very slowly. I didn't really notice it at the beginning. But then at some point, um, maybe eight, nine years later, when I was living in South Germany, um, I really noticed I found help. I had an incident um, where I woke up at night and I was just not really myself. I was kind of watching myself doing something stupid mm. or about to do something stupid. I mean, at the end, I didn't do it. But that was for me the the moment where I thought, okay, I need help. I need professional help. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to find a therapist who helped me a lot on digging. But it also Is means... Is this in Germany or in Canada? That's in Germany. Mm. But um, it takes a lot of time and also self-reflection. And mm. as a German, you're not supposed to be self-reflective. Yes. Don't watch yourself too much. Don't pay too much attention to yourself. It hurts. Well, put a Band-Aid on mm. it. Yeah. So it's it's not really like... Again, functioning, be, yeah. be able to be a functioning member of society. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I get, I get lucky. I had a therapist. I went on medication that helped me a lot. Um, I was also doing distance studies at the time for my uh, bachelor's degree in business administration. So I worked full time, 40, 45 hours a week, and then I still had to sit down and study. Mm. Uh, it was a hard time, and then uh, I broke up with my ex now. Bestest decision ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, toxic <laughs> relationships are bad, yeah. Um, and at some point, I was really tired and burned out. I spoke to my employer and asked if I could get the three-month sabbatical. And they were nice enough to agree to that. But again, as well f at the end, it was for me career suicide. Mm -hmm. So it was just 
not working for me so when i then came to canada um first of all canada is more open when it comes to mental health i find mm. at least compared to germany yes and uh, they're really trying to have this uh, a realistic work life uh balance in germany people identify themselves through their jobs yeah so which is not a good thing to do no <laughs> unless you really love it then it's different but yeah it's it's just um people always brag about how many hours they work how much overtime they do i'm more efficient than you <laughs> and yeah stuff like that or when you left one day on time it's just like so it took half a day off eh it's just like yeah it's not healthy it's not helping anybody yeah. um yeah so but here in canada um it's it's a little bit more open and uh, i my employer they offer a lot of help not that i would take it from them <laughs> i still like that experience back in germany really scarred me yeah. so i would not i'm not that open with my current employer about that yeah. but um Kramaga actually helped me a lot about oh, that's it good. so first of all raised in eastern germany means they try to raise you into a good worker drone yeah. so don't think for yourself yeah. and i always was not a very confident kid i was timid i was very shy and i'm also an introvert so lots lots of things to unpack But um, craft really helped me to step out of that. Maybe also because I left the country. I left my family and friends there. So I made a made a really clean cut. Mm. I mean, sometimes that's necessary. No, it's, it's I mean, like getting away from the things that yeah. are keeping you the way you are. And sometimes yeah. you need sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. And knowing knowing when is yeah. tricky. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really know it. But at that time, I wanted to try uh, wanted to try to move to Canada to see how it goes, because yeah. I rather try and fail than not have it done it at all. Yeah. Um, I still have, of course, contact to my friends there and ba to my family, but it's it's nice because it's a very controlled situation. So yeah. because we always have to schedule Skype se session, yeah. Skype sessions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then in Canada, uh, first of all, I was by myself, and uh, I really had to look out for myself and kind of hit the reset button for me. Mm. And then Krav Maga started really helping me getting out of that mindset um, to like not asking questions, be more confident, um, get out of that worker drone thinking, getting out of that thinking, feeling bad that I'm German. Mm. It's another point when you're being German, you're raised like, you people started two world wars. Oh, See, that, that, that's, that's, that guilt. that's the exact same thing yeah. as the white guilt. It's the same thing. It's nonsense. You yeah. didn't do it. Grandparents, different story, right? Well, yeah, and uh, like not even my parents. My dad was born 1930. Yes, he went through the Hitler Jugend. Yeah. Um, but my mom born 1939. She was just yeah, baby, yeah. baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, but changing, changing a lot of my mindset, changing how I see certain things in life, changing myself, like cleaning stuff up that I was doing wrong at mm. that point. So, um, that helped me a lot and. Canadians tend to sugarcoat stuff, and yeah, I very often don't. Me nuts too. And I very often don't get the memo. I think, okay, w okay, what do you want me to do now? I mean, for me, you really have to be clear and specific what you do want this, me to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is where you help me too, because you don't sugarcoat. You just tell them, yeah. no, that's not going to work. You have to change yeah. that. I think I'm uh, mildly autistic. I'm a highly <laughs> functional person. I, I don't know what the hell. If I take all sorts of tests, they're going to give me all sorts of different answers. I'm some strange mix of of things but i just i don't see the point in wasting time mm. no and it's not helping yeah. for me i mean everybody's different so i can only speak for myself but for me really being faced with um inconvenient truths about yeah. myself yeah that helped me change stuff yeah well that's good that i could do that that was actually i mean not specifically to you but when i 
chose the name Urban Tactics, my goal originally was uh, to be more than just self-defense. And mm. now I'm slowly figuring out how to teach in a way that I'm, I'm helping that a bit more. Uh, was that to have like how to survive physically, how to survive mentally, and then how to survive socially. That was my goal. I don't have the resources to do that. So I've just changed my teaching style a little bit over the years so I can kind of get all the, the stuff into there. Those who want to listen, great. Those who don't, usually don't come back. I probably piss people off because they've been used to the sugarcoating thing. But I, it's, it's fine. It's so counterproductive. And, and you know, I was talking to another uh, individual who has some significant mental health issues. And, you know, I was on SSRIs too. And it's the conclusion from a lot of mentally ill people are they don't really want to be on that stuff mm. because they're just a band-aid. They're not actually fixing the problem. And I agree with that sentiment. And a lot of people agree with that sentiment. And that's why I'm angry at the medical system. You guys are lazy mm. because what they're doing is just trying not to get you to kill yourself. They don't want you to kill yourself. And I'm thinking that it's actually emotional on their end because if you die, they feel bad. So it's easier for them to do that from a resource perspective. Here, take this pill. Mm. And this other person was saying like, all it's doing is making me not want to kill myself, but my life is miserable. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, because they're not trying to fix the problem. No, so there's a couple things. Like a lot of therapy is bullshit. A lot of it. Because to be honest, a lot of therapists suck and they shouldn't be there. Some, as in your case, you got a good one. Um, for me, I, I don't do well in therapy because... I'm smarter than them most of the time. I understand what they're trying to do a lot of the time. So for me to find someone that actually really understands people, it, it uh, it's tricky. So I have to do my own investigation, my own finding. Well, let's just say a substance that I was talking about earlier, I've recently explored, uh, and it's, it's like flip the switch. And so I'll talk about SSRIs for a second. So, you know, I suspect I've had issues, depression and, and anger. It's genetic as well and, and upbringing and, uh, and social rejection. I think that was the big one for me. And I didn't really think about it till recently. Uh, and then you go on SSRIs and then what it did is it gave me context. So when people are like, don't be upset, like just be happy. And I'm like, but my mind didn't have context. Like You can keep telling me that. It means nothing to me. I need to contextualize it. And that's where a lot of it fails. It's just do this. You're telling me words. It, the words mean nothing to me because I have no experiential reference or knowledge to understand what you're talking about. And then I go on SSRIs and I'm like, okay, now I kind of understand what people were saying to me before. Like, hey, why are you, why are you reacting like that? So I was, I'm a, was a very, very reactive person. Uh, and so SSRIs, I was very calm. So all of a sudden I was able to build some slightly better social skills, but it's robotic. It's very like uh, numb. And then I was like, uh, go, let's go off these. And then of course, some people in my life who got used to me being stable, then I go off again and I'm a little bit more edge. They couldn't handle it. It didn't work out so well. Um, but then you ha now I have context. So now when I go forward and I'm talking about ideas, it's like, okay, I have a little bit better understanding because I have some sort of referential point. Now I take some of this other stuff, boom, it's like a flip switches again. And now I can understand a little bit more because a lot of it is driven from biological processes that you can't control unless you can change the biology, which is where the pharmaceutical arguments are. But those guys, most of the time, they don't really even know how that stuff works. They're just giving you something that kind of gets results. It's not very well thought out and they're being lazy. 
and then you find something like this and it's like oh like i find i'm a little bit more compassionate now a little bit more understanding because it is a biochemical thing and then you look into the research while the therapy and the social skills are tools you need the platform the platform being your biochemistry the tools is the therapy and the uh, social interactions and now i have a better understanding of how to approach it because i need the context it's, it's, i think it's the 80 20 rule it, it applies to everything people don't want to because no one wants to be in the 80 percent it's that 20 percent of people are doing 80 percent of the work that includes all of 100 scientists 20 of them are actually doing meaningful work the rest of you are kind of just there oh I, i'm an expert mm, you're not progressing anything right 80 percent 20% of medications are probably really good and very helpful and 80% are just being prescribed and they don't need to be prescribed. Uh, martial arts, 20% of people are actually making everyone better. 20% of teachers are the best. The rate rest don't need to be there and they're wasting students' time. That's why school is boring a lot of the time, right? So I think as we, the internet allows people more and more to get access to that 20% in any topic, humanity will progress forward by knowing the right questions and having enough information you can know that the 80 percent are bullshit and you don't need to listen to them right like uh, in jujitsu john danaher right he's really revolutionizing how people train and all of a sudden they're realizing the way that even the gracies are being forced to change now the way they were doing things is a waste of time for a lot of people right i know a lot of people don't like tradition and, and stuff that's why they're drawn actually to jujitsu because it's more like let's have fun and mm. do it but they're stuck in their ways sometimes. Like, and I'm often thinking about, you know, I've built a Kramaga curriculum. How would I build a jiu-jitsu curriculum? And then I hear like John Danaher, he's like, I only teach seven submissions. Now it's, it's no gi. Obviously gi, you have to teach a bit more because you have a few, but it's like, basically what are the top 10 submissions of that, which are the best? I'm going to focus on that, build a system around that. Not even systematizing. It's understand the principles. Mm. And now we only spend time on what has been proven to be efficient. Most of humanity is that 80%, whether it be martial arts, medication, therapists, doctors, quote, experts, politicians are mostly garbage. They are probably like 1% of them are actually doing meaningful work. Um, and that's the hard part for people. It's like, there's, that's a lot. Like sometimes when I talk to people about COVID and they say, listen, I think you're right, but it's just a lot. Mm. and they can't sift through the information just mentally it's too much because they don't have the tools because no one taught them you know i don't know it's kind of all over the place on that no i <laughs> i know what you mean like especially when there's lots of information input um i usually start structuring the input yeah. so i review the input mentally and then put it either on the they're going this way pile or they're going the other way pile or miscellaneous yeah I'm not sure what to do with that <laughs> yet. So m maybe I understand it later, but now no clue. Uh. And then I try to make sense of each pile individually and then try to piece it together for me. This is how it works for me. But it is it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work and commitment. And I can also understand that there's many people out there who just don't want to do that. Yeah. So it's it's a lot to ask. So and but yeah, and for me not trusting the government no matter in which country i am it has nothing to do with canada or germany or anything it's just how i was like my backstory yeah it's just i just don't you couldn't trust the government uh, yeah, back in the day like no. it was dangerous yeah you so. couldn't you shouldn't um just don't it's like if you talk to russians they're like you think any of us believe what's in the news we know it's all bullshit for Ex the last yeah. like hundred years we've been lied to for the last that's why they don't trust anyone <laughs> 
It's like you won't you won't be disappointed. <laughs> exactly. So f- first lesson I learned from my dad: don't trust what you read in the newspaper, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it was just yeah made up or skewed in a certain way. There is this uh, this joke always going around back then. Uh, the Russian president and the U.S. president did a swimming competition. Yeah. The Russian president came in second. Yeah. Uh, so and how they presented it in the in the news was the Russian president he had an amazing second place and the U.S. American was second to last. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun way to spin it, yeah. right? Um, and that's very often what happens. Yeah. Well, it's Orwellian doublespeak. I mean, Orwell mm. didn't create it, but that's what the propaganda ministers do. It's the doublespeak, the way, like the CNN guy and the Israeli guy. Mm. Like, I don't think he was being malicious to the, the Israeli guy for once, CNN not being malicious uh, to Israel. But the you could see just by the way he framed that He's so ingrained in how to frame things to be emotionally charged. Mm-hmm. Bodies, they're people. Mm-hmm. They happen to be dead. It's yeah. what the Israeli, you know, something like that. And it's just, that's what they do. Then now it's the headlines. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I see things show up and you read the headlines. I, I look at the comments first because if it's a bullshit argument, the first few comments are going to be like, this is a waste of time. And that means I know the headline has nothing to do with what's in that and I'm not interested in reading it so if you're smart you don't just click now unfortunately a lot of people still don't understand how the internet works mm-hmm. like people like for example uh, we have like the Daily Hive or the Vancouver Buzz or whatever the hell they're calling themselves now. what a lot of people don't know is they're a pay to access they're not news in order to get your business or an event or a thing you have to pay to be published in that I only figured out because someone said, t- hey, we want to do a community piece on you. I forgot which one of them. Oh, yeah, yeah it costs this much. I'm like, the hell? And then you mm. realize that everyone in that, that's why they're kind of shills for the government right now because the government's working out a lot of money to them to get their message out there. And then you realize if people are looking at that as news, it's like, no, that's propaganda. Mm-hmm. Even if it's honest propaganda, it's still paid regardless of whatever it is. They're being paid to say something. This is not news. Mm. And people just don't know they don't understand the comment sections. It's like, this used to be good. This blah, blah, blah. First of all, if you don't support it, why are you commenting in it? Because that gives them money and that gives them attention and they get boosted. Don't comment. Don't engage on internet articles from sources you hate. Mm-hmm. Like I still follow them because I want to see what crap they're pushing out. So I have context. Uh, but don't engage with idiots. And they all go down. You see, Trump's gone. All the CNN's ratings are down like 70%. <laughs> they might have to actually start doing the news again. <laughs> well, isn't Trump kind of bag? Sort of. Tour, so. uh, oh, we'll see what happens. I, yeah. I do not want him to run again. I think it's a terrible idea. Um, it's going to make things worse, even though I like his policies. I have no secret about that to anyone, so fuck you if you don't like me for that. Uh, he's got a big mouth. I understand what the problem with that is. No problem. But do you understand why people like him? And you can't just say they're idiots because a lot of very smart people liked him. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I'm I'm suspecting, and actually uh, Ben Shapiro was outright saying they're, they're in a soft civil war right now. So I suspect the, either California and New York are going to go so broke they can't keep pushing their nonsense that's not based in reality, and they're going to have to stop. Or you're going to see maybe in the next year and a half the American Congress. I think they have their whatever their midterms and it's going to be swept right. And then they'll just 
sweep all this crap. That's why in the next year you're going to see Biden administration shoving everything down everyone's throat because they think that's going to happen too. And hopefully that'll stabilize stuff because financially New York and uh, California will be a wreck mm. and then it'll stabilize. Um, if it doesn't, I'm not sure. I think that you're going to see the breakup of the America and Canada. I'm feeling if we keep with this moron as a leader who is just dividing the country and anyone who thinks otherwise is not paying attention. I don't see any other path for Canada but to break up. It's think you want about Quebec. They're part of our history. But if you want to live completely, I'm for you separating. Uh, I don't, you can't have a country if you're not going to be unified. Hmm. Uh, and then they're throwing Alberta on the bus. Sorry, Albertans, you needed to diversify your economy years ago. You didn't. And you're fucked now. Uh, I do think we should have built the pipelines in the meantime, but they didn't. Alberta's going to want to leave if I think Trudeau gets in again. Uh, even worse, if he gets a majority, they're just going to bail. And then I don't know what BC is going to do because you might see the entire Western country uh, provinces leave. You might see BC do its own thing. You might see uh, BC stay. I like who the hell knows. Here's a story that I found fascinating. So there's a Canadian company from BC called Arcturix, right? Now, a lot of corporations right now are going anti-gun, going full woke, all this stuff. And you said, what the hell is going on? Because half of America does not support that. So either they don't care about that half of America or they don't care about that or something else is going on. And I kind of had an aha moment. Arcturix. Now, I don't know if they were serious about this. Arcturix, Canadian company from BC, does military clothing lines, involves with military. There is a trend right now from big corporations not to support anything related to guns. Banks are pulling support from gun stores, etc. I think in America they're going to run into constitutional problems. In Canada there's no protections. So I think there's just going to be private conservative banks. It's like, what the hell are you guys doing? Anyways, Arcturix, whether it was misinformation or something, was saying, we don't support gun stuff. We don't... It's like... And people are like, wait a second. You have a... military line how do you not support gun culture well a few years back in 2017 or 2018 Arcturix was bought up by a European company recently that European company was bought up by a Chinese Chinese company that's what's going on and if you can't realize that's what's going on with this corporate culture it's that they have been influenced by the Chinese money and the Chinese strategy is not to beat America and the West with war because they still can't win that yet. The mistake they'll make is if they try to do it too soon and they get smashed, which they will. It's to break the West up from the inside and that's what they're doing. They've gotten their money. They're like Americans like money. They've gotten into the corporate world and whenever a company gets too much Chinese influence, you start to see these policies come down the loop because dictators don't like guns. And China wants to see America's power go down. And, you know, that's what they're seeing is will will America fight them militarily? Because that's going to be a, a nasty war if it does happen. Uh, the West will win that one. Sorry, China. But we'll see what happens. Like, you don't know what the outcome outcome will be. Um, but if it's in 30 years when they've broken up America due to this nonsense infighting because they've let they've the, the, the I'm all for capitalism but if they've allowed the corruption to get to the point where they can now be undermined by foreign entities with money 
and I just like with the Kirk's thing, which you know, even before it was sold out of Canada, still moved its co- production to China, which is like assholes. Lululemon got it right. <laughs> keep it here, keep it here, keep it here. They still do some stuff in China, but their main stuff is here. So this is why I say, like, as Mayan self-defense isn't just physical. Because when you start to understand how things work and what's going on, and people are like, you see, you know, people, st- all you people said the vaccines don't work. I, I didn't entirely say that stuff. There's so much more to this story. I said that we didn't need the vaccines to open up, and I still believe that with like 99% certainty. If you don't understand politics, and you don't understand business, and you don't understand the laws, and you don't understand this, you will be shocked and awed when your country is now screwed over. And I'm a Jew, and I need to run, or you're whatever group you need to run, right? And that's people don't care because it's overwhelming, as you said. And, and the it mental is health becomes like nuts. People are losing their minds, yeah. right? It is very overwhelming. And also, like, as we spoke about it in the past, um, now they think, oh, it's only this group of people. It doesn't concern me. Yeah. But then it becomes the next group of yeah. people, and people are still like, no, nah, that's not me. I don't care. Yeah. But then they will come for you eventually, too. Yeah, there's that uh, Protestant German priest or something who said something like, first they came for the Jews, so it wasn't me. First they came for the whatever. He goes through the list, and then they yeah. came for me, and there was no one else left to fight for me. Yeah. All right, so when you see, like, in America, the fall, the ACLU, civil liberties, fighting for crazy people now and rejecting the Constitution, mm. rege- like, that's terrifying. These groups that are supposed to fight for freedom are no longer doing it because they've been corrupted. Uh, and like science, for example. Science in itself is just a thing. It's a process. It's run by humans. Humans are corruptible. Capitalism is just a thing. I still think capitalism is the best thing of all the solutions we've come up with. It's humans that are corruptible. Oh, we got to go away from capitalism because it's, it's corrupt. No, you just have to make it so it's less corruptible. You make the corruption obvious and unacceptable. And that'll only ever happen if you, the public, stand up and say no. But if you don't understand, how are you going to fix it? Well, it's also personal responsibility. And capitalism, with all the freedom it comes with, people yeah. have to understand that they are personally responsi- responsible for their own decisions. Yeah. I think that's why m- maybe socialism or communism is appealing to some people because decisions are not yeah. made by you. They're Tell made me by what other to people. Do. This is yeah. too hard. Makes and it easier. Easier for those who are unwilling to educate themselves and learn and be better. Because that's the hardest thing about being human. Because, again, I think we like stable. It was pretty heavy in the last little bit. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm pretty hungry. I don't know about you. Yeah, slowly getting there. I got yeah. up early again because, you know, cat. Yeah. Is there anything uh, that you want to talk about that we didn't talk about that you think it's important to talk about? Well, we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think what's important to me is because right now, again, we have this environment that where people are just yelling at each other yeah. on the Internet or in not so much in person because people are cowards. Yeah. Um, so I would like to see more effort um, to have a constructive conversation and not just yelling at each other and yeah. think, I'm the only one with the right inside and this whole self-righteousness just stirs me up the wall. Yeah. And uh, shoving your opinion out, uh, your opinion down other people's throats. Um I always accept that I might be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not always uh, the best approach because it's sometimes um I need to be more assertive and confident. Um but again, I learned a long time ago that you think you might be right, but then you find out you're not. Yeah. That's always an option and um education 
educate yourselves, read all kinds of different yeah. books. And when the next election comes up, people, please vote. Yeah. That's, I think that's... Be informed voters. Be though. informed Don't voters. just vote yes. for someone because you have nice hair because it fucks everyone, okay? Yeah. <laughs> informed voters. It's not about whether you like them. I know it's a popularity contest. It doesn't matter whether you like them as a human being. You have to look at their decision-making and their policy because that's what's going to affect you. Oh, he has a big mouth. He's an asshole. Don't care. It, that's not what affects you. And if it does, you have a mental health problem. You need to go get that yeah. checked. And are they competent? Are they competent? Because we currently do not have competent leaders in North America at all. <laughs> Clown show. Um, well, I think that's a good place. Uh, do you want people to find you on social media or do you care? Uh, you can find me very easily. Just spell my name right. Yeah. And then you can find me on Facebook. Yeah. If you go to our blog, you'll see her. She posts fairly regularly. I think you got some more ones coming up. Anyway. Uh, I try to write on, but I have a lot of stuff going on. I'm now training as backup. I'm training pretty yeah. much six days yeah. a week. Well, you'll get it out. But uh, eventually I will get it out. Yeah. They say write every day, like five minutes, and you'll get it out eventually. Exactly. Um, um, I'm not a very... Uh, I'm not... What's the word I'm looking for? I'm not an adversary person. I'm not really looking for conflict. Yeah. Having good conversations every day, even with people who disagree with me or I disagree with them. Yeah. Um, just just be nice. Be kind. That's be the trend. Kind. That, that, that trend. <laughs> I'm trying to work on that. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. And Thanks we'll for having me. We'll for sure me. hear from you for more in class, at least. <laughs> I'm sure we'll. Thanks. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. <laughs>